To make your kiss incomplete I wanna talk to you When life reaches out and takes you Welcome to Prince Drive by Track presents Stephen Wonder Classics. Today we're going to be talking about sunshine in their eyes. Although on early pressings of uh, where I'm coming from, uh, it said sunshine in their eyes slash everything is happening. Mm. Um, so Stevie's kind of sneaking a second song in here, but we'll kind of talk about that more when we get to it. Released on the 12th of April 1971, uh, featuring Stevie Wonder. Uh, also, we have the Funk Brothers uh, providing uh, some string arrangements, um, you know, arranged by Stevie, obviously, written by Stevie and Sirita, and I think she is the person who comes in with the second main vocal when the song shifts to Everything Is Happening. Uh, the track is seven minutes, although I would argue that roughly five minutes of it is Everything Is Happening, and about three minutes is Sunshine In Their Eyes. Uh, depends how you cut it up. And joining me to talk about today is Niall McGowan. Hello, Niall. Oh, hey, Darren. So I, so I had to pull down the blinds there. It's like, gee, the glare in here. The little sunshine. Get my eyes. <laughs> Bugging the crap out of me. Yeah. There's this weird thing that Stevie Wonder did on these first few albums uh, from this period where he had songs like this that were kind of two songs. Um, he does it again, I think, on the next album with Superwoman, where... It's like a song for three minutes and then it turns into a second song, but yeah. it's only billed as one song. Mm. And I don't know if Motown didn't want him to release like albums with ten tracks on, and so he did nine tracks and then just smushed two together. Like I'm not sh- I'm not sure what the motivation was behind that, but it's weird though. Cause I didn't know that it was two tracks, but one of my notes is like it seems as if this is just two songs that have been. This is very kind of like <laughs> Devo with like oh Smart Patrol slash Mr DNA. Like it's sort of like this doesn't seem like. It's billed as one song, but it seems like it's two completely different songs at the same time. And the weirdest thing is, the first part of the song, I guess, which is Sunshine in Their Eyes, I hated. I was really like, oh, I'm not digging this at all. And then when it kicked into Everything Is Happening, I was like, this is phenomenal. I love it. I love the switch. <laughs> I was like, I would rather if you yeah. just cut out those first two minutes and just have it be Everything Is Happening. I would love that much, much more. Yeah, it kind of actually seesaws a little bit because... Um, you you still have like oh, when it switches to everything is happening, which is um, it starts up with um, what is labeled on Genius as chorus one, and then there's chorus two and chorus three. But I think uh, what Genius hasn't quite realized is what they're labeling as verses is the first half of the song, and what they're labeling as choruses is the second half of the song. <laughs> so after it after it does the switch, uh, which happens with the 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 kind of Sirita coming in saying, "See how the world escaped, all the streets are turning bare." Like so th- that that kind of part, um, it, it then kind of goes, it slows back down, and it goes back to being like sunshine in their eyes for the kind of for a verse, and then it jumps back into being. Mm. You know, everything is happening. And then it, it does it like one last time kind of towards the end where we get this kind of this last little thing where, um, you know, Stevie's talking about Father Bill's gone fighting. And then kind of it jumps back into, you know, like we say, the kind of second song. And then that kind of is the rest of the song. And then we got this nice little outro where Stevie does some wonderful la-la-las. Mm. Um, I, th- I, I will say I, I enjoyed the switching back and forth because it felt almost like you're watching like an ad for... You know those ads that used to have like, oh, the best of Stevie Wonder, and you'd see like the names scrolling yeah. up the screen. I felt like that. There's like there's just middle of one song, and all of a sudden now it's just back into this other song. But I, I enjoyed it switching back and forth. I thought that was quite like I, I I like that more than just the concentrated sunshine in their eyes at the beginning. And the one the thing that really bugged me about sunshine in their eyes is because it has one of my. I think pet I know pe- what you're gonna say. 
Sorry? I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I, I think I know what you're going to say. And it's the uh, chorus of children. Yes, I absolutely hate that. Yeah. That's just a thing I hate <laughs> in songs in general. Like, I remember, um, like, even things like, you know, Another Brick in the Wall. Like, oh, classic songs. Like, but yeah, but those kids, I can't, I can't get behind that. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why, why I dislike children singing in songs so much. But I even remember, like, back when it was, you know, like, back when it was okay to like Morrissey, because I used to be a big Morrissey fan up until recent events where you just have to like, wash your hands with the guy. But um, I remember they built, when Ringleader of the Tormentors came out, they were building up that, oh, Tony Visconti's come on to produce this song. Like, the youngest was the most loved. It's like, oh, it's going to be a big, big hit, and all this other thing. And then at the end, freaking chorus of children kicked in. I was like, no, no, they're not. Get it off. Get it off. I never want to hear that again. <laughs> I was like, I can't, can't, can't abide it. I don't, I'm sure, you know, a, a well-trained psychologist could get to the bottom of why. But I, for the life of me, have I started analyzing why I don't like it? It's like, I don't really know. It just, it, it irks me somewhat. I think, I think the interesting thing is obviously as Stevie's singing the kind of chorus line from Sunshine in Their Eyes, which is just one line, which is, oh, I can't wait until... Uh, the day the sunshine in their eyes like that's you know as he sings that the the children instead of singing in their eyes sing in our eyes mm. and it's just this weird kind of like i understand what stevie was doing but it's just this weird dissonance because you're like that doesn't really work it's, it sounds <laughs> like, like they're not even it sounds like they're like off key and stuff it doesn't seem like they they're singing the song properly it seems like it's very yeah. discordant all, all together it doesn't <laughs> Like, you'd even think it's like he just, like, literally, instead of actually getting in... I'm sure, like, I don't know where he got the kids from, but, like, it seems like he could have literally just shouted out his window, like, hey, kid, come here, I wanted you to sing on this. And it's like, <laughs> well, what key do you want me to sing in? Just any key. Just whatever key. I'll just, and then I'll just build... I won't even build the song around. I've already got the song written. I'll just stick the, whatever the hell you sing on top of it. I, I think the issue, and, I you know, this is this is kind of true of, you know, just kids singing in general. Um, they can understand a tune, and they and some kids can carry a tune. Obviously, when those kids can carry a tune, they become little Stevie Wonder, mm. <laughs> and you know they become the Jackson Five. Like when you've got children who are talented, it's so easy to see, and it's so obvious um, because most kids can't carry a tune. Mm. Um, because obviously, you know, like getting a tune exact is kind of, is. I mean, when you're younger, maybe it's a little bit easier because of you know it's kind of innate, maybe. But I think that's the that's the thing that kind of, uh, I guess, doesn't really work about the kids that are on this is, like you say, it doesn't sound like they're in key. Mm. It just sounds like they're trying to sing just a line and they don't have the exact kind of, you know, key that it's meant to be sung in or the notes it's meant to be sung in. And so it's kind of like, OK, like they're, <laughs> they're just kind of coming out of nowhere singing this line. And they're kind of messing up Stevie Wonder's beautiful voice and it doesn't really work. Um, and I think that's kind of true of most like it's it's telling that when you have, you know, kind of um, choirs, um, you know, they they have like specific registers that they sing in. Like if you think of any kind of like um, in particular, like kind of church choirs and stuff. And when you particularly when you have like those uh, choir boys who have like a really high range and they kind of sing you know like kind of alto and like it's very kind of telling that some of the like the, like when you find like a chorister who can sing in that high register and hold those notes they kind of end up getting the spotlight and then everybody else is kind of in the background because it's very rare to find like children that can kind of carry that that kind of tune um 
and then obviously you know uh, puberty hits uh, or unless you know you're in Italy and somebody decided to remove your genitalia and then <laughs> obviously it doesn't hit but and then it like most choirs end up being women because obviously that's the range that they want people to sing in is that kind of like you know alto or um, soprano register and for grown women it's a lot easier to kind of hit that that register um, but for li- like you know little girls it's harder for them to sing in that register and the same is kind of true of like boys anyway like you know young boys it's very hard for them to, you know when you find someone who can then obviously you know that's how you spot talent is by, is by somebody <laughs> be able to carry that so i think when you have like just a bunch of like 20 kids singing half of them aren't going to be able to carry the tune and the other half that can aren't going to be able to overwhelm the others and so it becomes very noticeable when they're not completely in key mm. i don't think these kids are actually fully off key but i think the the kids are singing in a key and they're all singing the same key i just don't think it's matching what stevie wonder's <laughs> kind of got going on so if stevie wonder wasn't singing along with them or there was no music underneath them i think they wouldn't sound that bad but matched up against everything else it is a little bit discordant and then obviously it is kind of a relief when it suddenly changes into a different song <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh, you know, and so, I would say I'm not just like Stevie's like attempt. It's like, oh, you know what happens if you have a pretty good song, you can make it better by putting something terrible at the beginning. And then people will be so thankful when the good song comes on. They'll think it's like a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know it. Like, this is the weird thing that he's like, this is the weird thing that he did. He did on the next kind of couple of albums as well. He's, uh, and I think even all the way through to, like, I don't think he does it on Talking Book or Innovisions or Fulfilling Us, but on Sings in the Key of Life, there are a couple of songs that are, like, two-part songs, where it's it's one song and it turns into another song. Um, you know, whereas I think it, this is just something that it feels like he's trying. Like, he's trying the idea of, like, he has these two ideas, um, you know. And, it, and the thing is, it's worth saying, it's something I, I don't think people kind of fully appreciate, but... You know, the Beatles were very influential on Stevie Wonder. You know, he covered a number of their songs. Um, You know, the last single that he released before this album came out, you know, before he released Where I'm Coming From, was Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Uh, But on that album, he had We Can Work It Out. So, you know, uh, he kind of... We Can Work It Out, of course, is famous for being one of the few 50-50 Beatles songs where one half was written by Paul, the other half was written by John, they're in two completely different time signatures and so the song switches from 4-4 to 3-4 and it couldn't be more obvious that it's two different songs kind of you know from two different people and that's what this feels like it feels like Stevie's like well it works for the Beatles so you know let's (laughs) I've got these two ideas and I don't know I can't do like a full three minute song with one and I can't do a full three minute song with the other but if I switch between the two I can kind of come up with something Mm. you know that kind of that is is you know better than the sum of the parts which i think is what it is like i I, you know like you i'm not a huge fan of the sunshine in their eyes part and i'm not a big fan of the um you know the the kind of chorus Mm. Uh, and i think it's funny because like it it, the kind of verses for it kind of first they're very kind of short so it's stuff like you know a lonesome tear a hungry face a barren pain Mm. a dream unchaste and you're like okay this is you know fairly downbeat um, you know, and all this kind of like, you know, a prayer is heard by one so small, let love be on the hearts of all. And, and again, it's like, I can't wait until the day the sunshine in their eyes. And it's like, this doesn't, you know, like at first, I mean, particularly on this album, like, you know, this has had like a few ballads on here, you know, you've had take up a course in happiness and, you know, do yourself a favor. And mm. like, so it's kind of been a, a bit more of a radical album. And then 
um, you know, you have this kind of Funk Brothers arrangement in the background of like these strings and everything. It's like, it just, it feels kind of weirdly out of place. But then when it switches up to the second half, you're like, oh, well, this is like, it's more in keeping with what's on the rest of the album, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I would say as well, it, you know, throughout this album and, you know, future albums where this is true, um, the contribution of Cyrita, I think, is more in the second half. The kind of the longer verses and the kind of more poetic kind of storytelling is something that Cyrita kind of generally brings to Stevie's songs. And that kind of simple rhyming of like, you know, a lonesome tear, a hungry face, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of more, you know, Stevie Wonder's kind of like lyrical writing. <laughs> there was a period, though, I was confused. And that was when because then he had like, OK, yeah, Stevie. And then you have the kids. And then when she came in in the second half of the song, I was like, Wait, was she singing that earlier part and she was terrible? Or was, was it kids? <laughs> is it the kids now? Where's, this woman's appeared out of nowhere. What the hell's going on? Um, and she's got a really nice voice as well, Sarita has. I mean, Oh, yeah, that was the thing. It's like, oh, you know, she sang that first part. She's infinitely improved in the second one. And, I mean, I guess, like, this, it's a lot of... It's, it's weird because this song feels kind of a lot more prescient today than even in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, where there's this kind of, you know... You may you you and I may never see them cry or wonder why the world's so cold, you know. Mm. And there seems to be this kind of like, um, you know, oh my mother's worried because she feels the world is ending. And you're like, oh, okay, that <laughs> like, <laughs> like this this feels very relevant to yeah. today. And it's I think it's, like, it's I, kind I of say, like that, that verse in, in particular. I thought it was because it's just actually Stevie's performance because you know he's usually friggin' routinely excellent he's gonna it's kind of bad for it'll be it's rare circumstances when i've ever seen stevie wonder screw up like it's, it's something but again that you just see the, the the passion in in his vocals and stuff as well as it's like oh this guy he is he is selling this like he's on top form as per usual really but uh yeah those like i thought that this, this what yeah this is a song like I'm looking forward to listening to this song again right now, but I will always have it rigged up to be like start at two minutes and twenty five seconds. <laughs> like it's don't the <laughs> first half of the song just nah you can leave that out. I'd almost be like oh if I put yeah. that on like a mix CD for someone, it's like I wonder if I could just stick it on Audacity first and cut out that first bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of what I used to do to um, uh, Deborah by Beck. I used to, like. That kind of had like a gigantic, like it was, you know, there was like six minutes of silence or whatever after it, and then like a, some noise appears. Uh-huh. And I always had to, like, whenever I put it onto my mini disc compilations that I made at the time, I would always make sure that I had like a smaller version of Deborah. And then eventually, when I got iTunes, the only version of Deborah I have is the proper short version. Mm. <laughs> I don't have the, the version with all the bonus. Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. like I'm sure you could always bug the crap out of me in um, the Subway song by The Cure. Because, you know, the whole song is about a woman getting attacked on the subway and stuff. But that has a bit where like it's kind of the, it fades off into silence for a bit, and then out of nowhere this giant scream comes out out of nowhere, and it's so like it's so jarring. <laughs> it's like every time you, you can't listen to the song comfortably, it's like no, I gotta get up and freaking skip past that part or something because it's so <laughs> loud and uncomfortable and stuff. The rest of the song is good because then it comes back in again, but it's just like. Uh, I wonder. Yeah, that'd be another one. It's like, I wonder if I'm sick. That not as I just cut out that scream because I, artistically, I get the, the the idea. That's fair enough. You do that, the cure. But yeah, for you know, sitting around trying to enjoy the music purposes, eh, you could, I could have done without it. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I I feel like the second half of the strong is the kind of the the song is the stronger part. You know, particularly kind of all this. You know. Uh, most of the news is bad. Crime just feeds in the air. I think, obviously, you know, there's this album actually has kind of very little kind of political commentary, and that's something that I think some reviewers at the time kind of criticised. 
uh, because you had like um, Marvin Gaye doing, you know, what's going on, and then you had Stevie who, uh, you know, this con- this is the end of his contract with Motown in effect, and he's going to start a new contract with the next album, and so this is him kind of flexing his kind of creative muscles and. Um, you know, leveraging that new contract negotiation to get more freedom on this album. And yet a lot of it is is very much kind of, you know, love songs. And there's very little kind of political commentary. Mm. Um, and this song is the only one that really kind of has uh, political commentary. But like you say, you know, you hit that kind of chorus of children and it's kind of a little off-putting. And it, it, it kind of, it feels like, you know, maybe a few years down the line, he would have had... Um, you know, Minnie Ripperton and and Denise Williams and, you know, some proper, like, studio musicians come in and do, like, the kind of the chorus part instead of kind of going for the whole kid motif. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we get the idea with the lyrics of stuff like, you know, hate to see the bar- uh, baby starve because mama can't be found. Like, we're getting the kind of political commentary and we understand. We don't need to then hear kids singing <laughs> to understand that it's about the kids and how the kids are in danger. Like... It, it it just it feels like it's kind of gilding the lily just a little bit, um, you know. <laughs> it does uh, do like it's a thing again. You know, I mentioned previously, I'm you know a Smiths fan. It does that thing I do love of having incredibly upbeat parts of the song that are actually lyrically quite depressing. Because <laughs> you've been going along, skipping along, like with is the tune, no, we all do everything is. That... But it's just like you look at what he's what he's saying. It's not upbeat at all, but it's it's kind of no. it, it puts a real jaunt on your step though. At the same time, so I mean, for me, I would say probably overall, it's hard because I think I think everything is happening is probably like a four out of five easily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the but the problem is the first half is kind of like a three out of five. So I would say like three and a half out of five overall it's a it's kind of almost a disappointing way for this album to end even though i do like the la la la's kind of the sing-along la la la's at the end uh, because again that feels like a beetle influence you know it mm. feels like he's I'd say it's taking a, the it's hey jude, jude thing. thing like it's just like oh yeah, yeah. This is what this, uh, like playing live this song can go on for five minutes it could go on for five hours it just depends what the audience is feeling yeah and so i kind of like that as like an ending to the album uh, but I think the first half of the song just kind of brings it down a tiny bit. So, you know, I would uh, on, on an album that I, you know, people generally don't kind of count as his classic period. But obviously I've decided to count it simply because this is the first album that he f- kind of fully produced himself. Um, and, and you know, even though it is the end of his old contract, he did kind of use it as a way to, you know, uh, kind of get a new contract with very very favorable terms and so um you know it's also really weird because this is kind of like the last time that he uses the funk brothers um because by the time you know by the by the like the following year basically uh motown had left detroit and gone to la and most of the funk brothers were kind of out of work with that move so this is effectively the last time the funk brothers appear on like a stevie wonder song um and it feels like a kind of anti-climax really to the album um, in fact, if they'd have had this at like the end of the first side and then finished this album with like, I don't know, Never Dreamed I Leave You in Summer or Take Up a Course in Happiness, I think that would have been a stronger, you know, kind of arrangement. Um, but, you know, from this point on, Stevie gets a lot better at figuring out what an album is and kind of, you know, the running order. So this is this is probably the only time where I'm going to be disappointed in a finishing track. Because I do love the second half so much. Like, that's five out of five for me. But then I do hate the first thing. So it is, like, I'd have to average it out to about a three, I guess. But it would just be, like, it breaks my heart to do so. Because I do love the second the second half. But uh, 
I do think in future edits of uh, you know the best of Stevie Wonder or whatever, if you should ever make it to compilation albums, they should consider perhaps doing an edit themselves. But well, then let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug now? I am uh, one of the hosts of Bat Minutes, a podcast where we go through the Batman films uh, minute by minute, one minute at a time, uh, one minute per episode. Uh, we've currently got the first two seasons done. And a couple of hiatus episodes, actually focusing on the movies of Prince. And we've got ones about the Halle Berry Catwoman movie, Johnny Dangerously, etc., etc. And uh, if all goes to plan, our coverage of Batman Forever shall start airing on December 2nd. Uh, That's the thing I'm telling people, but I don't know if it's definitely going to happen. But that's the fingers crossed. Let's hope so. Uh, And yeah, if you should be in any way interested... um, uh, in hearing me and a whole range of people, including Darren here as well, uh, talk about uh, Batman and Batman Returns. Those first two seasons are ready to go, and then you can jump on in for Batman Forever when when we start. And for this project, you can find us on Twitter at Stevie Bywonder. Thanks for being my guest here today, Niall. Oh, thanks for having me, Darren. And otherwise, goodbye.